Hi there, this is Sherry Hayes with MomDelights.com. I'm glad you're here today and I hope you enjoy what we're going to be talking about. Right now, I am looking at a post I just wrote and it's about how to fight like women and save the world. Don't you think the world needs some saving right now? I certainly do. Well, I have a lot of memories since I was born in the 60s and I lived through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the aughts and the 20s now we're starting. And um, I know that old people have always said, well, things were better when I was younger. But I think in this case, I can really justify that statement. Now, that doesn't mean that everything is worse than it was. Some things are better than they were. I think there's... There's a, a lot in the church and in the body of Christ that has improved, believe it or not. And I also believe there's a lot that's gotten worse. But I think our, our society as a whole has worsened over these past 50 years or so. And I think I can prove that. I would like first to um, read to you a little bit here a quote that from someone named Martin Marty. And he wrote this, in, and he wrote it, I guess it's some periodical, but it was quoted in the book, The New Atheism by Robert A. Morey. And he said this, and this is like 1960-ish, like early 60s. He, the infidel, quote unquote, is no longer with us. As early as the first years of this century, dominational periodicals noted, I'm sorry, <laughs> dominational periodi periodicals noted his passing. Let me start that again. Can I do that? He, the infidel, is no longer with us. As early as the first years of this century, denominational periodicals noted his passing. Today, infidelity strikes the ear with an antique ring that suggests old, unhappy, far-off things and battles long ago. The archaic sound of the term as a synonym for unbelief or free thought signals the passing of one phase of an enduring conflict between church and the world. The infidel is gone. Now this person, when, when they say the infidel, it's not like the Muslim infidel idea. It is the Christian infidel, the person who doesn't believe. And according to this person, there were you couldn't find anybody who didn't believe in God during the early 60s. But we know that there were a few pockets here and there because out of those pockets came persons such as Madeline Murray O'Hare and the like and the different assaults they were making on the very fabric of our, company, of our country. Now, um, I'm going to share some of the things that happened during this time. One was that they were trying to get women and young people and a lot of different groups very upset at the way they were being treated. There were there were uprisings and well at first it was just murmurings. People got together and they talked women got together and talked about how awful it was that men had all the advantages and they had all the disadvantages and, and they, they couldn't do this and they weren't allowed to do that and, and wasn't it awful that they, they couldn't do the same things that men could do. Uh, young people, the youth, got together and said, you know, it's the older generation. They're just squashing us. They're keeping us down. They're keeping us from expressing ourselves. They're keeping us from being happy. They're just all wrapped up in, 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 in things that don't matter, and we really know the real way. And then, of course, there were different ethnic groups, different religious groups, especially atheist groups, and everybody said, you know, we're not being treated fairly, and I want to put forth to you that this was not done by accident. 
But there were forces in our country that were trying to destroy our country from within, and they were planting these ideas in the hearts and minds of people. And you know, the human nature wants to grumble and complain a bit, don't you think? <laughs> and so during this decade, a number of other things happened. Uh, one of them was that Madeleine Murray O'Hare did get the Supreme Court to rule that you couldn't pray or read scripture in public schools. And we know that's just at the end of a big, huge, long onslaught of the public school system that began way back with the progressives. And even before that, probably, in the 1830s with Horace Mann and his like. And during the 60s, uh, that, well, that was one thing. That was the public school system. I can remember uh, distinctly in 1969, we had a substitute teacher and we were having lunch in the lunchroom and she sat down with us and she said, you mean you don't pray before you eat your lunch? And we looked at her very strangely because we had never, you know, I was just kindergarten sub or first grader, I think. And we just had never experienced the idea that you pray at school before you eat. But this woman had remembered it. And so also during this time, the birth control pill was legalized. Now, I know this is touching on a very sacred cow, and a lot of people don't want to think about this, but there was a time where birth control really wasn't that well known or used, or, you know, except for prophylaxis types things. And there were reasons that we had a supreme, we had a, the law of the land did not permit birth control to be disseminated except to married women. And the reason was that they did not want to encourage immorality. The idea that a woman did, and a man did not have to worry about causing a pregnancy when they came together before marriage was an idea that they felt would open the door so that people would feel free to sleep with each other. And this was a big concern in the 60s got to tell you, late 50s, early 60s, people really thought about these things. And I was watching a, um, a documentary by, um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard about Walter Cronkite, but he was a big, big newscaster when I was a child. And he spoke and he said that um, he noticed that some great change happened once the birth control pill was legalized for all women and that there was a great thrust for the sexual revolution. And it opened the doors to all kinds of immorality. And what happened was a lot of babies, that along with President Johnson's war on poverty, quote unquote, that encouraged and actually incentivized men to not be the heads of the household, to not be there to provide for their families because the mothers of children would get more money if there was no man in their lives. And so what this did, and also they got more money for more children, so what this did is it encouraged people to be immoral, to be unmarried, and to have many children, and not to look at them as blessings, but to look at them as a reason they could get money and live whatever, however they wanted. And this has been well documented and spoken on many levels by many people as being the destruction, not only of family in general, of poor people, but of specifically as a, a, a type of genocide against black people, which is really an awful thing to think about. And so these things all came to pass in the 1960s. Also, there was a gentleman by the name of Timothy Leary. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before, but 
He believed that LSD, or acid, or it's a psychedelic drug, was something that everyone should participate in it that would open their minds and help them to think and do things they couldn't normally do. And he had like a commune, I think, in California. And many young people's lives were ruined by the work of this man. Um, and then the drug culture, of course, blossomed from there. And we had all kinds of drugs that were happening. And this was shocking to people at the time because, you know, these drugs had always been around. I mean, we know in the 1800s they had the opium dens and things. But in general, in public, I mean, it was very rare to know of someone who was strung out on heroin or or marijuana or something. If you really want to know some of the greatest problems that school teachers faced in those times, it was things like, you know, kids not tucking their shirt in or chewing gum in class, you know. Nowadays, what types of problems are we looking at in the average classroom? Totally different. Totally awful. You know, there was a distinct and definite onslaught that happened during the 1960s. But I've got to tell you one of the biggest onslaughts that happened during that time, and that was the onslaught of feminism. Out of all these things, I think this was the most destructive because you know that over and over you've heard it quoted you know it's in the word of god that the family structure is a structure it's an institution that god put in place to save mankind from total destruction and the enemy the devil himself hates family and so when you see that the weakest link in destroying the family was the wife because you know as women we're the ones that stand. We stand for our husbands. We stand for our children. We stand for peace in our homes. And if the devil could get us away from our natural understanding of who we were, and you know, you can read Romans 1 if you want to, it talks about women leaving their natural state. If you look at that, if the devil could destroy that part of America, then he could have us. He could destroy the family. And we see the outcome of all of this today. We know that uh, one of the highest health officials in our country is a male who tries to look like a female, right? And we know that uh, all types of gender blurs are happening. We're supposed to become androgynous. That word androgynous means, you know, it's andros and gynos together, right? So it's like male, female, it's all mixed up in some morass of who knows what's supposed to happen. Now, if you go way back to that pill idea. Now I know I'm like drawing a whole bunch of, putting a whole bunch of octopus, you know, fingers out here and drawing all kinds of things together. I hope you'll stay with me. But if you go back to when they uh, legalized the birth control pill, please forgive me. I know it's a sacred cow. Please forgive me. Stay with me. When we did that and we opened the door for sex to be not considered a procreative act. In other words, it's recreational. It doesn't have to do with fruitfulness. You can just have sex and have fun and you're done and there's no consequence, there's no child, there's no other, right? Which is a lie, it happens still. But anyway, and so when we did that, we severed that tie between fruitfulness and the sexual act. Now we have sex as recreation. Now sex can be anything we deem it to be. Now we've opened the door for homosexuality and pedophilia and bestiality, all these things that we think are awful, guess what? We opened the door to that. Women didn't want to submit to God's natural state that we were mothers and nurturers and wives. We didn't want to submit to that. 
So we, we forced it through, we opened the door, and now we can't get it closed. We can't close that door. It seems like all this evil is got got their all their arms and their feet in the way, and we can't close the door on this evil. And it's like we opened the door and we let it in. Now, where am I going with this? Why am I talking about this? I'm talking about this because we need men and we need women, and we need them to be distinct from one another, and we need women to decide that they're going to throw off. You see, we've been taught that feminism. Now, remember, I grew up during the time when feminism was really, really strong, and they were pushing for the ERA, and the um, the National Organization of Women was had thousands of members, and they would have these huge stadiums filled, and they were throwing, they were burning their bras, and they were, you know, you know, like men would try to open their door. Don't you open the door for me? I can open it for myself. And they were all going to be construction workers and firemen and everything like that. And, you know, I went into the army. I was in the army. You know, I can speak to this from experience. And I can tell you that there is a distinctive difference between male and female. And there's nothing we can do to change that. No matter how many college courses you go to, no matter what, I have seen so much. I've been so educated in the realities of this. All right. So I am a staunch believer in having distinct male and female roles. I am with that. Okay. Now, here are some of the differences and some of the ways that men and women work together in God's design to do what is needed. Okay. Okay. Men are gifted with a greater sexual drive. When women are moral, they channel this sexual energy by their unwillingness to have sex outside of marriage. There I said it. Used to be that, yeah, there were, there were always loose girls. But the ones who said no were the marrying type. And those are the ones that the men were drawn to, the good men. Now, if they weren't drawn to women like that, then you don't marry them. You don't get in a relationship with them. You don't live with them. You stay away from them. Right? Because you want a man who's going to stick with you, who's going to be willing to say, I do, and then stay there. Right? Now, if women are immoral, men lose the desire for marriage. This is what I've written. Uh, as the old saying goes, why buy the cow if you get the milk for free? Why do you want to marry a woman if she gives whatever you want to you anyway? You know, talk about subjugation. Talk about slavery. Talk about being used. You know, when we, when we submit ourselves to those types of relationships and we wonder why men mistreat us, you know, maybe it used to be a little bad, but now it's horrible. Feminism has done nothing for us, dears. Am I a perfect Christian woman who does everything right? No, my husband can attest to it. <laughs> but you know what? God knows that my heart wants to do what his design is and not my own way. Okay. Now, men have accused or have been accused of being selfish. This is actually a tendency to be singularly focused, which is something women have a hard time with. <laughs> when a man has a wife and children to care for, his energy and thoughts are focused on caring for his family. In this way, a woman is God's route to teach a man to be selfless, right? Okay. Men have been accused of being impulsive and rash. This is actually the willingness to take risk. When a man has a family to care for, he takes risks to take care of his family. God has given him the ability to look forward as a warrior spies out the land. His wife's more cautious nature tempers this. 
and together they make better decisions. Now, women, sometimes they don't risk and they mess up. I don't know if you know that, but women are overly cautious. Women can make mistakes by being too cautious. We need men to get us out of our comfortability and take a risk. It's, it's important. Here's another point. Men orchestrate and build. They like to gather things and put them in place. We women take these things and add grace and beauty, and together we create works of art. Beautiful picture. Men protect and provide. Women are the nurturers. When I was a little girl, I experienced such security knowing my daddy would make sure we had the things we needed. There was no safer place for me than in his arms. He worked hard to provide a place we could live, but mom was the one that made it livable. She soothed tummy aches and made sure we were eating healthy meals. Together, men and women are parenting dynamos. When women take on the providing part, men recede into the background and begin wasting their natural resources of time and energy on fruitless activity. If a man can't be the man, well, he's just going to play some video games and eat a whole bunch of pizza. <laughs> I mean, what's he there for? Right? When women ditch their amazing job as wives and mothers, they lose their best opportunity to influence society for the better. And now, I know there are some incredibly courageous women right now fighting for morality. Where are the men? Have our efforts to make them feel worthless panned out? Are they finally in submission, uneasily accepting their new roles as the weaker sex? Seems likely. Other than for stud, what is their role anyway? And then I wrote in my post, I'm too disgusted to continue. But we can still fight, ladies. We can still fight. Now, it won't be by lifting our fists and making the muscle like Rosie the Riveter. Uh, no, we need to fight like women. We have been told over and over that our jobs as wives and mothers are unimportant when we are actually the glue that holds everything together. Now, God knew this. He told it to the Cretans. The Cretans were supposed to be pretty much like our society today. Why don't we ever listen to God? <laughs> but here it is in chapter 2, Titus chapter 2. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. It's just like baking a cake. If you want it to come out right, you have to follow the directions. Did you notice the last part? That the word of God may not be blasphemed? What does that mean? It means that when men and women aren't operating in their roles, they are destructive and bring shame on God. Seriously, that's what is happening right now. So, if we want the opposite to happen, we must do the opposite. Now, every action has an opposite and equal reaction. That's the third in Newtonian, in Newtonian physics, right? So let's get some, give some possibles here. Don't get intimate outside of marriage. That, and teach your girls not to get intimate outside of marriage. That means every kind of in, intimacy. Keep it clean. Keep it platonic. Make men earn it, and they will rise to the occasion. Number two, when you do get married, learn to trust God to work through your husband, just like Sarah as mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 3. Men love to be valued for using their abilities to build. And if they make a mistake, trust God anyway. 
God's able to make it right for you. If you're trusting in God through your husband, that's his way. You can't lose. Be a feminine influence. That's his number three. Be a feminine influence rather than a feminist battle axe. <laughs> Stop being manlike and enjoy being womanly. Now women can get their ire up. I do it quite often. Forgive me. But you know what? When I am womanly and I when I use my womanly influence, I am much more effective. Okay. Four, be home cent be home centered. Homemaking is not a drudgery, it's a privilege and can be an art if we will develop it. Create a museum filled with beautiful memories. Think of it like that. You know, when say I want something that I can I can be creative with, I'm telling you what, there's no other more creative job than homemaking because you're not, you're doing you're using all of your faculties, using every creative part of your being to create something beautiful. It's wonderful. Five, love and embrace children selflessly. No more of this, I need a, to have a life junk. Think living sacrifice. Remember the instruction booklet, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, where we're to be a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. As an aside, children are supposed to be the direct reason for sex, not an incidental byproduct. That's tough for another post, do you think? Yes, we must speak out as I'm doing here. We must protest and we must be an influence to those outside. But if we do not begin to take care of our own homes, we are lost. No matter how many guns we buy or how many letters we write or how many ways we protest. So I hope that that blesses you and you have a wonderful day. I think I keep, I'll keep on doing this. Maybe this will be a trend. What do you think? Let me know in the comments. Bye-bye.